0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those who are at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, Amen. Please be seated. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Goodness. These guys seem eager to smite some folk. James and John are the disciples that Jesus has nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They are bombastic guys, eager and quick to anger. But for what it's worth, they followed Jesus without much of a question. And they are at least moderately interested in getting it right. It can be easy to laugh at James and John to shake our heads and dismiss them as those silly kid disciples, having not really learned anything all this time. But let's be honest, how many of us have, from time to time, gotten so frustrated or felt so helpless, been so angry and ashamed that we might have wished just for a second that consuming fire from heaven was a real option. We live in frustrating times. And I know that many of us have felt helpless and angry and full of fiery rage as we have watched our courts legislate on women's bodies, while our lawmaking body seems incapable of legislating to stop the slaughter by firearm. Perhaps when we have felt our own safety threatened, or the safety of our children, retribution and power is where we go first. James and John are not that out of the ordinary. This is human nature. And let's not ignore the fact that James and John actually go to Jesus and ask him, Do you want us to do this? They think that it's a good idea. After all, it sounds like an appropriate response to them because Elijah did it back way in the day. But they go and they ask first. and We shouldn't ignore the significance of this. They are modeling for us a gut check in front of God before acting out our emotions. Jesus' answer, of course, is no. No, you cannot smite them. This is not what we are here for. We do not have time for that. Today's lesson begins the travel log portion of Luke's gospel. It is a pivotal moment when Jesus has set his face on Jerusalem. A poetic play on words to describe how single-minded he is about moving towards the holy city. At this point in the story, he has been teaching and serving in Galilee, but his time of pilgrimage has come. He has one purpose and one purpose only, to go to the city to begin the process of death and resurrection, to fulfill his work on the cross and through the tomb. Now all things revolve around this. There is no time for retribution, no time for a home, no time for ritual or to say goodbye to family members. There is only time for the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus makes it clear to those who would follow him, this path will be hard and it will require single-mindedness. It is not like following Elijah, who waits for Elisha to say goodbye. Jesus' way is urgent. It is hard to hold this urgency, though, because these words are harsh, seemingly unfair. Is it not good to say goodbye to one's family, to bury one's father, to have somewhere to lay one's head? These are not lavish requests. And these words are especially harsh after two years of pandemic life, where many of us did make incredibly difficult choices to not do something for a higher good. Many of us did not go home to bury beloved family members, or we stayed distant from a family that we loved, watched our grandbabies, grow up on a screen, or started to feel relationally homeless while we were locked up in our homes. This year, we can read this story with a new kind of understanding. We have experienced something so urgent that it required sacrifices from us that were cruel and seemed too difficult to bear. Yet, we knew why we needed to make them. We grieved, and we did what we had to do. I believe that the way of resurrection, the way that Jesus offers from death to new life is just as urgent, just as vital, and just as all-consuming as our COVID crisis has been. You are called to a unique purpose, a vocation on the path of resurrection, called to seek God's counsel and to live it out as only you can. We are called to be knit together as one body of Christ, called to live in the fruits of the Spirit as the Galatians once were, becoming a faith community dedicated to facing the world's crises with the hope found in the way of Jesus. And this is urgent work. There is no time for retribution, for obligation, for looking back. There is only time for spreading good news in word and deed. There is only time for loving our neighbors as ourselves. And unlike the sacrifices that we made because of COVID, the sacrifices that we are asked to make for the way of Jesus offer a hope That cannot be broken. A promise from God that we will not be abandoned. This is not only about the cost of discipleship, but also a testimony to the single-mindedness of Jesus himself. It is ultimately a promise that God's love for us is so focused that it cannot be stopped by anything. In the kingdom of God, in God's time, There is literally no space for anything but the way from death to resurrection. Nothing can convince God that we are not worth it. Nothing can convince God to wait. Nothing can get in God's way in the work of making all things new. And that, when we feel helpless and angry and tired, that is good news. This last month, we at St. Matthew's have been engaging in a spiritual practice that helps us pray with the element of fire. This is a part of a series in which we are looking at Christian practices of praying through the four elements, fire, air, earth, water. Fire as an element appears in the Bible as a purifying force, a force of love and light, a force of inspiration associated with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes a destructive force. Fire is both life-giving and life-taking, with the power to sustain and the power to destroy us. James and John wanted to harness that force in God's name to bring retribution to those who disagreed with them. But our practice, associated with fire, encourages us to experience the divine flame within, to spread love, throughout the world instead. So let us then prepare to bring down the other kind of fire from heaven, the kind that spreads God's love and consumes us with good news because we need this fire for our weary souls. I invite you now to rest your hand on your heart. You can find this practice in your bulletin and settle into your body so that you can feel your heart beating. As you get in touch with the beating of your own heart, imagine that divine flame burning within you. Begin to send the fire of love outward, opening your heart as widely as you can. And imagine pouring love onto your friends and family members, and then extend that love to your community, then out to all of creation. Amen.